Welcome to Red State Talk Radio. You're listening to Tori Says for the next hour. I'll be your host, Tori. We'll be discussing news, foreign and domestic, unfiltered news. Real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. Today is August 14th, 2019. And, you know, everyone might say that this is a slow news day, maybe. Um, assumingly, sort of, but it's not. It's actually quite a busy, busy, busy one. And um, quite interesting, too. Uh, aside from Epstein, aside from what's going on locally in respects to responses and answers to questions, we've got tons to talk about today. Uh, remember when people were talking about Hong Kong, I said I wanted to hold off. Remember, I told you weeks ago that there were reports, it was last week that I reported to you guys that from what I heard, there were a lot of Chinese troops uh, going over to Hong Kong, um, but that hadn't been verified. So I got with sources, and so today we are going to talk about Hong Kong. I am going to tell you, first of all, why they're rioting. And it is a riot, not a protest. What is going on and how it's going on? It seems that the mainstream media, both left and right globally, are, um, I would say, highlighting how China in the past has, uh, you know, acted very atrociously toward their own people, uh, you know, and how, you know, a communistic government like China works, which is what China is. Uh, you know, they have communism, period. So uh, we're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about the elections because that's a really big deal. I, I um, began talking about it months ago when I alerted uh, all my lovely listeners about a law that the Democrats are seeking to push to federalize elections and therefore providing more power and centralizing the way we vote and how we vote. Because uh, by them sequestering this, they also allow themselves to manipulate the um, Federal Electoral Committee, uh, allowing every administration to appoint three of the five uh, people on the panel because it's supposedly going to be nonpartisan like that. So it's um, pretty incredible. Now, um, where do we start? You know, where do we start? I think maybe I want to start with something that Andrew Yang tweeted out. Uh, and remember, I told you guys about Andrew Yang. And it's not rocket science. I'm sure that if, 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 if people remember the clues of how candidates come up in the ranks uh, throughout history, it's super easy to see it. Now, Andrew Yang uh, has come up through the ranks. He's obviously leading. 
Kamala Harris, you know, not a lot of people can identify with her. Uh, she is a tool other than the fact that she has, you know, more melanin in her skin and, you know, has a vagina. There's nothing else going for her. The woman has nothing to offer. Uh, she is pandering to socialism. We're going to hear about a granny that told her off in regards to that and how she played that off and um, what her uh, intent was. Uh, you know, we also have Joe Biden, who everyone seems to want to say is ahead. Totally not. I mean, no. Oh, by the way, uh, you know, Joe Biden's polls are just as bad as uh, de Blasio's, I would say. Uh, it, realistically speaking, uh, they are paying for people to turn up to these uh, rallies and they still can't fill anything. So I just wanted to point that out. I am still getting confirmation on that. Um, so let's start with Andrew Yang. Andrew Yang actually uh, tweeted out a petition to have Joe Rogan, uh, you know, um, oh my gosh, I can't believe I. it's not... He wanted him to be the one that coordinates and regulates and asks questions at the next debate. Now, I did a whole show on Rogan, if you guys remember. That whole show of Rogan when he was with Twitter and he was asking him questions. And how I pointed out that he was being paid by Twitter. Okay? I pointed out that he works, in essence, for Twitter because they sponsor his show. Okay? So why would we have him supposedly be an impartial moderator? First of all, for Andrew Yang, it would be great because he, Joe Rogan is all about that uh, progressive move into tech. And see, Andrew Yang is pouncing on that. And like I said, dude, his ideas are great. They're great on paper, but they're not for the now. You know, he's making, you know, this universal basic income. I know it's just a hook to most of you, but 15 years from now, that universal basic income will be something along the lines of like Alaska. So I want to explain to you what his idea is, but then I'm going to also explain to you why it's not applicable now, why he's running at the wrong time. So when you move to Alaska, Alaska pays their residents money every year, right? And that's like, oh, you know, you get money because we exploit our natural resources. And since you're a resident, here you go, right? Well, his universal basic income for American citizens uh, works along the same lines, but how is it going to work? So let's pretend that in my little city of Minot, right, <laughs> we have Walmart and Walmart offers, um, you know, a thousand jobs. Okay. And Walmart decides that it's going to become fully automated. That means that people will be scanning themselves out, kind of like those new Amazon Fresh stores, where if you have an account, it recognizes you from facial recognition. And when you put things in your cart, it literally registers it. So you could just walk out the door. You don't even have to pay because it'll just take it out of your Amazon account, right? Automatically as you walk through the door. So say they automate themselves. Uh, shelves stock themselves. People scan themselves out or kind of like Amazon automated, you know, facial recognition or whatever. Um, and that's it. So basically, uh, no employees needed except for maybe a janitor to clean up in the evening. So instead of a thousand jobs, they offer like 20. Okay. What happens? Since you're in a city where you're a business and businesses not only contribute to the consumers, but they also contribute to the areas that they are in physically, right? By providing 
jobs. That's the deal. So if they're not providing jobs, then what are they really doing? They're just providing for consumers. So what Yang is proposing is companies that automate and cut down on jobs like McDonald's, who is now using like the automated, you know, ordering systems, which by the way, are a lot better because you can like customize your burgers and stuff. I never knew that you could like add avocado, add this to it. And most of that stuff is free too, by the way. So, uh, so those that go into like this automated process and don't need human beings to work will be paying a higher fee. So it would be a tech fee. So let's pretend, you know, either he applies it as a tax or from their revenue, maybe monthly revenue, we want 2%, you know, something like that. Who knows? Well, that revenue pools his money and that money goes back to the people. Why? Because first of all, you're entitled to it because you just have a business there not contributing, not contributing to your community. And, um, uh, you can use that money as that, as like pay, payment that, you know, it's a business in your area and doesn't contribute. And uh, you can use that money to retrain yourself. So that way you can have a job. Maybe you can be one of those back-end nerds working from home, uh, you know, fixing the automated um, sh- stock shelving thing, you know, where they restock the shelves on computers if there's a glitch in the code or, you know, uh, you know, fixing any code that's coming in with new customers, you know, taking phone calls for customer service when customers are like, well, I just walked out of the store and I only got two milks and it charged me for, you know, five of them. I need you to review the video footage and, you know, make sure I get refunded, you know, those things. That's where humans come in, where you need to take a second look at the video footage, second look at the transactions, you know. So people need to be trained differently. Now, why is it not good? So people that were born from 1990, I would say eight and over, have a chance are more likely, well, no, that's wrong, 2005, I would say. So those that were born in 2005, that'll be adults in 2025, right, or um, 23, would be most, are mostly inclined to code and very tech-friendly. So those people will be employed in jobs to be able to sustain such businesses, yes? Because they're more savvy, People that are my age, uh, you know, in their in their uh, late thirties, late twenties, early forties, late fifties, obviously sixties, you know, aren't the majority aren't. I mean, I know how to code, I know how to do things, but that doesn't mean everyone did because not everyone worked in tangent with technology, or you know, not everyone did that. So think about it. Why would Yang implement that now? First of all, you wouldn't be able to get this universal basic income because there aren't enough businesses except for like two or three throughout the nation that are fully automated like Amazon's fresh thing. So then what? It's a great idea, but you can't implement it now. One, because you don't have the manpower to sustain it yet. Two, because you don't have the technology to do it yet and companies aren't willing to just make that transition from one day to another. So why get elected now for four years telling us, yeah, we're fixing it so you can get the universal basic income? It makes absolutely no sense. So technology should be up and with the times around 2028, 2032. So that is when Yang should be coming in with this idea. That time where we're all transitioning into that, where all the major, you know, companies like Target, Walmart, Starbucks, et cetera, are putting it into that realm of tech. Okay. 
So that's the problem with Yang. And aside from the fact that the majority of his rhetoric, uh, or I wouldn't say rhetoric because it's not rhetoric, his policies align with that of President Trump, except for when he's confronted by liberal journalists, right? Uh, Suddenly he turns into this snowflake. Suddenly he turns into this weird mush. And you're just like, is that the same Yang? Like, what is going on? So I'm, I'm, you know, on, on that note, you know, Yang is sneaky. Also, I think, and let me just double check, Yang is going to be in New Hampshire. So he is going to be in New Hampshire on the 16th through the 18th. And I think the president is too, right? Is that the dates that he's going to be in New Hampshire? That'll be interesting to see that we have a Trump rally at the same time we have a Yang rally. Um, Yeah, he's going to be in New Hampshire with Trump. Oh my gosh. That's incredible. Think about it. That's incredible. Um, So, well, no, he's going to be there tomorrow and Yang's going to be there the day after gosh darn it Mm, for a day i would have loved to see how that would have worked and i can't wait to see that rally and president trump used the word fredo totally would love it now speaking of crazy journalism right and targeting people can we talk about new york times please for a second like oh my gosh it is the most hilarious thing i have ever seen so weissman who covered congress and you know the dc desk he was like in charge of it this guy got demoted okay this is a big deal because they even made an announcement about it he got demoted because he had recent (laughs) this is so much fun when the left is eating themselves okay so it's he had a serious lapse in judgment um apparently he got into it with some chick named roxana or something now this chick is like your big black woman uh you know she's like she probably uses pearl pronouns and she got really offended and what she said was that he was and I quote she's so tired of white men you know responses and how dare he tell her that he needs to apologize and why did he contact her assistant to make sure they apologize so here's the thing she probably stepped out of line. She was being super snowflake. And Weissman was like, okay, we could do whatever on, you know, as New York Times on the paper and look insane. But in reality, this, this, this dynamic's not working. You need to fix yourself. And she pulled the left card. So <laughs> the New York Times went with it and said, uh-uh-uh, you're not allowed to mansplain. This is a total showcase of white supremacy. This is how they eat themselves alive. It's they eat themselves alive because this is what they're, they're putting out, so they should be on the receiving end too. So it's, it's, it's super fun. Super duper fun. I love it. I love it. I love it. So we see him totally demoted. And, you know, I'm pretty sure that Andrew Weissman, that, uh, Jonathan Weissman, I don't know why I said Andy because I was thinking of him. But Jonathan Weissman, uh, he probably is now so fed up with this leftist stuff. He is so teed off. I mean, think about it. Like, now they can't even stand the policies that they're shoving down our throat. 
And you guys need to see this chick's um, tweets, how she's like, I'm so tired of, you know, people, you know, white man and his whiteness. Oh, yeah. Her name is like Roxanne Gay or something like that. She's so weird. Guys, you could just even look at her profile. And it's like, he is so upset, too, um, because she talks about white supremacy and you know, everyone's just eating it up. This is the time that we revel in it. Okay, guys, this is where we let them cannibalize themselves because in the end, when you're insane, it's the insanity between you guys that totally, uh, you know, come together. So, uh, it's beautiful just to watch it. It's beautiful. And now moving along, I just wanted to say before we talk about the elections, before we talk about Syria, before we talk about anything else, I want to talk about Kamala Harris. Okay, so yesterday there's this video that's going around um, that uh, that Ryan Savera um, tweeted out where Kamala Harris was at a nursing home, of course, and she was talking to them about health care. Now, first of all, why are you going to a place where people have one foot in the grave, right? And you're telling them about your health care policy. You're trying to get their votes. It's not like they're going to give it to you. Okay? Because uh, at that age, they're very conservative and very concerned at the atrocities and the insanities they're seeing. I mean, even their nurses don't even look male or female anymore. So I want you guys to listen to this clip. It's, 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 pretty, it's, it's pretty funny. Um, take a listen. Yes, ma'am. Well, we're going to pay for it because right now, let me tell you something, we're all paying for health care for everyone, and it's in an emergency room. She said, um, are you the one that's changing our health care? She's like, yeah, I have a question about the health care. She goes, yes, ma'am. What's your question? She says, you know, uh, you're doing the health care. And she's like, yeah, we're going to. I understand that you're she, the woman said, sorry, I understand that you're advocating for health care for everyone. She's like, yes, we are. And she goes, leave our health care alone. She's like, well, we're already paying for everybody's health care in the emergency room. She's like, no, we're not. Leave it alone. So Kamala Harris continues. Yes, ma'am. Well, we're going to pay for it because right now, let me tell you something, we're all paying for health care for everyone, and it's in an emergency room. Okay. Okay, I don't intend to mess you mess here. Okay, well, I want to make sure your health care is the way you like it, so I'll promise you that, okay? I won't, I won't mess with the health care that you have. Are you on Medicare? Okay. Well, it was nice to visit with you. Thank you for the time. Okay. Take care, guys. So she told the woman, you know, hey, we're just going to, you know, yeah, we're already paying for it. When the woman asked, well, you know, who's going to pay for it? She's like, well, we're already paying for it. She said, no, we're not. She's like, leave our health care alone. She's like, you know, we're already paying for it at the ER for everyone. She's like, no. And she's like, don't worry about it. I won't mess with your health care. Well, she's already on Medicare and you can't really mess with Medicare because she's been paying for it for like 50 years and now cashing in on it. But instead now people that don't work are going to be paying for it, pay as you go to have this Medicare. Mm, anyway, it just goes to show that the older population those that she went to pander for votes saying, look at me, I'm a woman, I'm progressive. She shouldn't have done that because these are the people that are definitely voting for Trump. 
Okay. And for her to ask, oh, are you on Medicare? She asked her twice. The thing is, she asked her why, because she'd be like, yeah, I am. See, Medicare is good for you. We want to give everyone Medicare. That would have been her hook to continue. But the old woman was not having it. She was busy doing her checkers thing or bingo thing and ignoring her and mumbling. The bottom line is what they are pushing is pure insanity. They want to give everyone health care on our dime. And we're going to be paying for it, like she said. We're going to be paying for it. They're going to be taking 70% of our salary to pay for it. And you know, the richer you are, the more money that 70% is. How bite, right? But 70% out of 100,000 that I have a year leaves me with 30,000. Well, why am I going to work to just have $30,000 when I could be on welfare and get 40? I could just say, I don't want to work. Nope. Not working not working, pay my house, pay my food, pay my health care, not working. I could just do that, right? I could just say, "Hmm, not going to work, not going to work. Then what? That's the thing. Why would I work to make a hundred thousand a year when I can make more money and have more, you know, more, uh, I would say comforts, but being on welfare, it makes absolutely no sense. It's the insane socialist push. Now, I want us to take a listen to what, um, about the elections in general, what Eric Trump has to say, because Eric Trump accused the media of ignoring our president's popularity at the Iowa State Fair. Oh, uh, where, you know, Joe Biden was and supposedly had tons of fun and he was really handsy from what I saw. it's it's a pretty interesting interview with Fox, and um, it gives you uh, perspective. On a stick. Um, there's a new poll that has come out. It looks like uh, Bernie Sanders now is actually higher than Joe Biden. What's going on over there? You know, it's funny. So I actually went to search for this. It's called the, 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 the corn kernel poll, right? Everybody puts a, a kernel corn in the bowl that they like. Trump's bowl was totally overflowing, right? But they'll actually only show... The Democrats, they only show these little ones. You have Mayor de Blasio, the mayor of this city here in New York. He had about three kernels of corn, right? There's 30,000 kernels in, in, in these bowls. He has about three kernels of corn. But they won't show the one on the red pony, which is Trump's, which is literally full to the top and overflowing. Why Someone was on here yesterday and said they had to bring out a few more jars. It's unbelievable. For your dad. It's unbelievable. Why does the media hide that? I mean, what, literally, just, just Google it right now. Just corn kernel poll. Google it. They only show the Democrats. They won't show... Trump's bowl, which is overflowing. I mean, it's, it's, it's sick that that has to be the narrative in this country and no one can even talk about it unless somebody comes over with their phone, snaps a picture because they happen to be a supporter, and it ends up going viral. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the other narrative is that Joe Biden's the front runner, even though he feels like kind of a front runner in name only. His time in Iowa included multiple gaffes, included misremembering whether he was vice president during the Parkland shooting. He talked about truth versus yeah. facts. Uh, as the campaign and as you look at him as an opponent, where do you put him right now? Well, listen, I don't think any of them are all that impressive, to tell you the truth. I'd love to run against just about any of their records because, quite frankly, they haven't done too well. Um, We'll start talking almost immediately about how Obama and Biden gave $150 billion to Iran, a country that hates our guts, including flying cargo planes full of cash into Tehran and dropping it off by the pallet load. Yet they want to raise Americans' taxes. I mean, that's really, that's your recipe. Let's raise Americans' taxes. That's what they want to do as a party. Let's take away their health care, all while we fly planes full of cash over to Iran. If that's what we have to run against, guys, I feel pretty good. But ultimately, then, 2020 becomes a pretty easy choice. I mean, you're going to have 
one party stands for this and the other party st stands for that, and then the American people can decide uh, wh which one is it. Right. I say it every so day, but, 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 but the Democratic Party is no longer the party of JFK. I mean, they've gone so radical. You look at the squad, you look at Nancy Pelosi, you look at some of the things that you know, Bill de Blasio was saying on Hannity the other night. I mean, some of those proposals. Let's tax everybody at 70%. They'll crush this economy. Every company will leave this nation. People will have no incentive to work anymore. I mean, literally, our, our economy, our markets will crater if that happens. China will run all over us. I mean, they'll, they'll own America. You literally cannot have that happen in, in, in this nation. Their proposals are wild and crazy. You have AOC in our own state that pre prevented Amazon from coming here. She wants to raise taxes on one hand, but yet she costs New Yorkers billions and billions and billions of dollars every year and tens and tens of thousands of jobs by forcing businesses out. I mean, you can't make this up. Well, your dad's economy is doing so well right now. We had we had those individuals on that were talking about American-made companies, talking about how men and women need to get dirty again and, and these blue-collar jobs. There's a great op-ed in the Wall Okay, I'm going to leave that there because we're coming up to a break. But exactly what I was talking about yesterday, right, which is what? Making America great again is by reinvesting in our own nation. These blue-collar jobs, transportation, having people travel within our nation. Why aren't they accessing tourist spots within our nation? I mean, you know, why not go to Iowa? Why not go, you know, and just visit it? Or, you know, get an Airbnb in the middle of nowhere in Montana and enjoy it like our beloved beloved, you know, grr, graphic cartoons, right? Ben Garrison. Uh, so we'll pick this up right after the break because it's pretty interesting how this rolls into what we're seeing in the elections and what the Democrats are trying to do to federalize it. I'll see you all in just a bit. Red State Talk Radio is now available as a voice command on your Amazon Echo and Echo Dot by simply saying, Alexa, play Red State Talk Radio. Red State Talk Radio on TuneIn. Turn to every single American. Now, we've been hearing all these stories about sanctuary cities, sanctuary cities that... You can now find us on the Amazon Echo and Echo Dot on TuneIn, on iHeartRadio, and we also have the phone apps in the App Store for your particular phone. And just in case we activated your Echo Dot, Alexa, stop. Hello, my fellow patriots. My name is Michael Flynn Jr., and I am the proud son of General Flynn. Your support of the last two years has been incredible and will never be forgotten. If you'd like to continue supporting General Flynn, you can donate to our Legal Defense Fund. Any donation is welcome. To donate, go to www.mikeflynndefensefund.org. Thank you, and God bless America. Hey, this is Leonora Cravota from Red State Talk Radio for My Pillow. I used to have trouble sleeping. My Pillow changed all that. I now fall asleep within moments of my head touching my pillow. That's how comfortable My Pillow is with its patented interlocking fill. My Pillow stays cool and does not go flat. Plus, it's machine washable and dryable. My Pillow has a 10-year warranty and a 60-day comfort guarantee. My Pillow is also the official pillow of the National Sleep Foundation, and it's made right here in the USA. My Pillow is now offering Red State Talk Radio listeners a four-pack special with two premium standard or queen pillows and two go-anywhere pillows. That's four pillows for the price of one. To take advantage of this special offer, call 1-800-961-9194 and ask for promo code REDSTATE. That's one 800 
800-961-9194. Promo code Red State. Put sleepless nights behind you with my pillow, the most comfortable pillow you will ever own. For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, visit mypillow.com. Guaranteed life insurance with no medical exam. Sounds great, right? Even better, your rates will never increase and benefits will never decrease. If you're a U.S. citizen between 50 and 80, you can get life insurance guaranteed. It's not guaranteed in every state, and you may not qualify for every policy, but when you call, you'll speak with a licensed insurance company. They'll give you all the details about guaranteed life insurance. So call now, Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. So what we were talking about is how we make America great again in general. Um, you know, and yesterday I went into it uh, talking about how, you know, the average working family, like my husband, he's got a really great job working for, you know, a, a class one railroad, uh, but he only gets two weeks a year. And it's really hard for him to even get them back to back sometimes uh, due to work demands. Um, and... I, you know, how do you see the, the, the beauty of our nation if you can't travel to it economically? I mean, I'll tell you guys, just me and my family uh, flying down and getting down to South Carolina to see my daughter graduate, you know, cost us about five grand. It's like insane money. And you're thinking, what? Yeah. And we took it like on a stride because my husband was eligible, you know, for a family um, medical leave act leave, uh, obviously unpaid because, you know, uh, when you're going to official military ceremonies for your family, uh, you know, that's included in the law. Not a lot of people know that. So I thought I'd just mention that, that if you have a child or, you know, a husband or a wife or a grandchild even that um, has joined the military and you're working and you can't seem to get the time off to go see them graduate, to go see them off, you can file for that. And that is included in our uh, um, Family Medical Leave Act, just so you know. So we had a whole week and we enjoyed it. We kind of tried, took the scenic route, took a bit of Amtrak, you know, and uh, just took flights from Minnesota, went to the Mall of America, went to Charlotte. You know, we uh, had that week time unpaid, of course, uh, for him because <laughs> that's the way it is. And it cost a fortune. I mean, you know, uh, four people to fly just from Minnesota to South Carolina, you know, cost us $1,500. If we were going to be flying from Minot, it would have been closer to three, three and a half thousand. That's insane, right? That's insane. When we can all get tickets, right? Four people can get tickets round trip from Minot to London for like $1,200, but to travel within the United States, it's like three grand. You, you got to think for a second and cock your head. And by the way, if we were going to be flying out of Minot, we would have had to pay additional money for like suitcases because obviously I brought civilian clothes and, you know, um, electronics for my daughter. You know, she's a big gamer. So, uh, you know, we would have paid extra. So that, you know, could have been with our suitcases and everything would have been like another, what, an additional, what, three, four hundred dollars to for each leg of the trip. You pay sixty dollars for your bag. So it's 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 insane. 
We're not investing in our nation. And, you know, the Federal Reserve isn't helping. And I'm really glad to see that the president tweeted it out. I mean, the Federal Reserve is supposed to be the fake currency bank of the United States, right? We created it. We made everyone get on this fake fiat currency, right? And it's supposed to be benefiting us. That's why the cabal, the fourth unelected branch of government, decided to quash our gold standard and get the whole world on the same page with us so that way we could control everyone, right? That was the idea. That's why it was created to, in the future, create this new world order. And, you know, everyone's with the same money, universal language is English, you know, for business, and it's already dubbed so, and done. But how come the Federal Reserve now is not benefiting us when it was created to supposedly benefit us? Instead, it's benefiting the world. And it was great to see that tweet where it's like, hey, you're not the bank of the world. You're the bank that regulates our economy. Why aren't you doing something? And obviously it's because why? We're not allowed to be an independent nation. We're not allowed to be a sovereign nation according to them. What we're doing is atrocious and it's not pro-democracy. What do you mean pro-democracy? How is it pro-democracy when the power lies in a few hands? How is it pro-democracy? It's not. Take a listen to what else Eric Trump has to say. If the Wall video Street Journal, and it was written by the guy who started Home Depot, one of the guys, Bernie Marcus, and John Katsimatis. Sure. He is he he was the one who started Gristidi's, which is a grocery store here locally, all you know throughout New York. And this was the this was the title of the op-ed: "Making Money is a Patriotic Act." And this is what a little clip from it says. We are forever grateful to live in a nation that promotes free enterprise, which enabled us to achieve our dreams. Both of us are sons of immigrants who came to these shores with almost nothing. No one would ever say that we grew up privileged. And that is true of most other highly successful business owners we know. We made it the old fashioned way. We had bold plans. We took big risks and we built and invested in highly successful made in American businesses. Let me just say something about John Katsimatidis. He's Greek. Uh, he was friends, actually, with my dad. My dad, like him, came to America with absolutely nothing in their pocket. Okay? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. I think my dad told me that when he came here, when he became of age, right, uh, he had a, literally a couple of drachma in his pocket and drachma back then was devalued to the dollar. So he had like basically like 20 bucks. So all the Greeks kind of hung out together. Now, Katsimidis created, uh, you know, uh, these supermarket chains with, you know, kind of any, the, 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 a Greek name, actually. And, um, you know, they would all stick together. Now, my father um, met uh, uh, and worked with Israelis and other Greeks and they created, you know, uh, you know, in the fashion district, that's where, that's where I was raised basically. Uh, you know, he was a furrier. Now, you know, obviously he passed away and his partner passed away. And in the end, his partner's son is the only one that, um, holds, uh, the company. Now I, I, I couldn't afford the death tax. Like it was property. This, it was like, it was super done. Like I had the death of my brother and my father within the same year. I'm telling you guys, it was like, it's really hard because my father worked so hard, uh, you know, to make, uh, you know, my life comfortable to provide me vacations every summer where he would just put me on a plane with my sibling and just send me off to Greece. I would even take my pets guys. I had an Akita as a, you know, as a pet, I had an Akita, one of my favorite breeds of dogs. And I would go on vacation with my dog. 
Okay. That is how hard my dad worked. He was great. I lived in, you know, the fashion district. I lived, you know, in a, you know, in a place where it's now a hotel and, you know, we still have that one apartment. Well, it's not in my name anymore. You know, we put it in a, a trust for the kids. Well, my mother did, but, um, for me, but it, it it's now a hotel and we still own a floor. Like back then, if you worked hard, you could have a dollar in your pocket and you could make it if you worked hard. Because I don't remember any time that my dad wasn't working. I remember going into his studio where they were tanning the furs, where they were cleaning them, where they were designing the coats, you know, where they had, uh, you know, magazines coming in and figuring out how they wanted. Like this man worked all the time all the time. And he was the owner of the company and he was working super hard. But the other thing that you would see back then as a kid, I'm telling you, like late 80s, right? I would see that the the immigrants um, from the same nations uh, kind of like helped each other too, in a way. So like um, they encouraged everyone to create their own businesses. Many businesses in the 90s were approached to be bought out, kind of like uh, my dad's business now has like a uh, a, a deal with Saks Fifth Avenue. So Polo George's furs are, you know, exclusively sold there. Obviously they sell stuff on the sides, but you know, and they have great furs. So if anyone likes fur coats, Paula George's furs is perfect. Um, you know, we, there's a contract with Michael Kors, but that means that they own part of your company. So it was all about owning. It was all about creating yourself, you know, making money is a patriotic act. Yes, it is. Because that is the reason the United States broke free from the United Kingdom. They broke free saying, no, 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 no. You're not going to dictate how much money I can make or who can make it. Because, you know, back then it was still old school system. They'd be like, yo, you're going to be governor, said the queen or the king. So you're going to take this section and, you know, make a farm, get your slaves and you produce. And then we'll let this business owner sell your stuff. And then whatever he makes, Makes, half of it goes to the crown. Okay. That's the deal. That's the way it used to work. And at some point in the 17, in 17th, enough, we're going to dictate it ourselves. We all got like our governorships. We all got all this stuff. You know, George Washington was super rich. He had so much property, but the deal was all these people that are trying to flee a socialist, you know, nation, uh, an, a nation that, you know, bows down to a queen and gives half of whatever they make back to the crown. You know, they wanted to come here and say, no, I should be able to afford whatever I want as long as I sweat for it. If I work for it, I make it. If I don't work for it, I don't make it. It's kind of like me. If someone offers me a contract and says, hey, I want you to do this project, you know, and I'm going to pay you this. And I say, no, I can't complain if I don't have that money uh, because I didn't work. If I didn't work, then I don't get money. That's the way it goes. So this is all about making America great again is by working and allowing us to enjoy the benefits of working. And those that don't work die. Period. That's the way it used to be in the olden times. We didn't have welfare in the 1700s and the 1800s. We didn't have welfare. If you came over here on a boat with nothing in your pocket, like those people coming through the border, they have no money, but they have cell phones. But anyway, you came through 
and you didn't work and you were just like, oh, who's going to help me? Um, so can I get a house? Oh, and my kids need to eat. Oh, you can't give me that. You have to give me something better. Remember how they didn't like the food they were being given? Uh, yeah, um, fix it. They would have been dead. You know, the people that didn't want to work usually ended up dead. They were beggars, prostitutes or, you know, gophers that then died or got sick because they couldn't have clean water. They were eating from the garbage. That is how it should be. You shouldn't be responsible for someone. Have you guys seen the stuff that some of these leftist insane people say? I saw an interview with some girl saying, you know, she was, first of all, uh, insane looking she had blue and green hair so she could afford to get her hair done uh you know and she was explaining how she has anxiety with working and because her anxiety is so crippling she can't work and so she stays at home and obviously because she stays at home you know the only pleasure she finds is playing video games and she's grateful that she has free health care and that she gets money to eat when you know you would think well you're one person and you're getting food stamps why are you so overweight how are you okay uh, in in fairness you know food stamps that are afforded to people um that have hardships don't really allow them to buy good foods because it's not enough. You know, you can either buy a packet of ho-hos, you know, that'll give you a ho-ho a day for a month or two mangoes. Like, what would you pick if you're poor? You'd pick the ho-hos, right? Because at least you're going to get something every day with the mangoes. It'll just be two days of food. Maybe if you want to eat half a mango a day, four days of food. So in all fairness, it doesn't work like that. Um, It doesn't work well. The whole food stamp thing. It doesn't because garbage is cheaper and sustenance that can actually help them and keep them healthier is not. But anyway, the point of the matter is that we should not, you know, shame people for making money. We should not shame people for being successful because there's clowns out there that you know, complain like at Bernie Sanders. Oh my gosh, I got like a master's degree, uh, my first degree in like feminism and my master's degree in like gender identity and I can't get a job. Well, where do you think you were going to get a job with that? Seriously. And you know what they end up doing? Going for like a two-year patch course so they can get into what? Elementary education. So then you have these insane insane people that have feminist and gender identity degrees teaching your kid how to read and write. Okay. Just saying, just throwing that out there. So we understand, uh, you know, how the United, how the left sees making money and how it's poison and how it's a privilege. (laughs) White privilege. I'm sure Jonathan Wiseman is tired of that. I would have just left. So here's where we go into privilege again. They're constantly saying that voter ID is racist. They're constantly saying that, you know, uh, the constituents that are poor, like black Americans and Latinos, so all of them are poor, according to the Democrats, and that's not offensive at all. Or Joe Biden saying, oh, you know, colored kids are just as smart as white kids. Are you trying to infer that they're not? Like, why would you even say that? So here we have the Democrats pushing the rhetoric that all Latinos, anybody of color basically, is poor and can't afford to get a driver's license, a passport, or any form of state ID to vote. This is what they're pandering to you. Uh, So we've got this voter ID and it's voter suppression because it's racist because black people don't have IDs. Well, 
I'd like to know which one doesn't because if they're getting Medicare or Social Security, they definitely have to have identification. Have they gone to the doctor? Definitely have to have identification. Do they have a bank account to get benefits or money from their job? Have to have identification. You go to the dentist, you have a kid in school, you are in school, you're driving, you have health insurance, you know, car insurance, you need identification. So tell me how they can have all that stuff and not have identification. It's impossible. So how is it racist? Are they trying to say that there's a human being out there, an American citizen, a majority, as they say it, of American citizens that don't work so they don't get paid uh, and they don't get benefits and they never go to the doctor and they don't have kids in schools and they don't drive and they don't have insurance for their car and anything because and and they don't have a bank account because uh, obviously they have no identification. This is pure insanity. Like who says this and believes this? Now, I did have a debate on Twitter one day where it was referring to the Native Americans. And I, you know, obviously the leftist thing is, "Oh my gosh, North Dakota is suppressing Native American votes." Stop. First of all, North, North Dakota in the last elections was suppressing even armed forces votes. So if you were an active duty member and didn't have a driver's license, because all they would accept is a driver's license, they wouldn't accept a passport. They wouldn't accept a passport card. They would only accept a driver's license. So your passport is the most valid identification in the nation. It says you are an American citizen, ergo whatever social security number you give them is yours because they could check it anyway, and that you have the right to work and live in this country. How does it not afford you the right to vote? Explain. Right? So they wanted a driver's license because that's valid. How is that valid? My husband has a driver's license, but he has no right to vote, yet he was on that list. So they not only suppressed, you know, our members of the armed forces, because where I live, we have one of the most important bases in the lower 48 for the Air Force. The most, you know, nuke type base there is with thousands of military active duty military members that may not have a driver's license in North Dakota may not have changed it because they're temporary or didn't want to or whatever it is so they can't vote they would tell them well you can vote on a ballot but you have to come by Tuesday and show us a driver's license but I don't want to get a driver's license well then you need to get all this other information so they made it difficult for the people that actually serve this nation to vote but we have a problem with the Native Americans here's what the problem is that they don't have a street address okay going again to the driver's license situation because on reservations sometimes they just have p.o boxes because they have parcels of land and it's understandable right um so why can't they vote because you have a tribal id the tribal id says you belong to that tribe only so you're able to vote in uh, you know as part of that reservation no matter what so why do you need their address? If they have a tribal ID and they're getting, you know, the little reparations checks in the mail and they're part of that tribe, why are you telling them that they can't vote? It's down to allowing illegal and legal immigrants to vote too. And my state, though it's red, it is the most corrupt when it comes to elections. Elections are bought and sold. Like last year, 
uh, when we had elections, man, did they really fit, fudge the votes. They fudge. How do you prove it? When you have all the corrupt cronies in there, your secretary of state has been in for like over 25 years. This guy's a dinosaur, senile, and still sitting in office while they all just work together. These people have been in office all together for 20 years. They fix everything. So identification, <laughs> driver's licenses aren't valid. Here's what we can do. We can open up centers, like I've said before, and offer free voter ID. Free voter ID means it's just an ID that says you have the right to vote. Biometrics and everything, like a passport. Someone comes to you with a passport, that should be the most valid thing out there for you to vote. Yes or no? I mean, if you go apply for a job, they'll be like, give me your driver's license and your social security card, or just bring me your passport, period. It's an all-in-one. I'm an American citizen, the right to vote, I have the right to live, I have the right to work, period. So here is where we're having a, a, you know, a really big problem in the state, in the state level type of every state decides, oh yeah, we're just going to do this. You know, and in my state, they fix everything. Every year that we have elections, they change the districts. Oh, you, you're just going to mail them. We're not going to have like a ballot booth for you guys. And that's usually the districts they need to flip or something. It's, it's horrific. Now, Shaftes uh, actually made a great point on how the Democrats want to federalize the election system so they can secure their power. If they federalize it and they pass a law, you know, making what they say is correct, we're done. Take a listen. Russia is a, will attempt to interfere in the 2020 elections and is already doing it. So here's an easy way for Leader McConnell to silence the critics who accuse him of blocking election security. Stop blocking it. So that comment from the floor about two weeks ago, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer going after Mitch McConnell, arguing he has been blocking these election security bills in the Senate. Former Utah Congressman Jason Chaffetz says, quote, Democrats don't care about election security. They care about securing power. Jason Chaffetz, author of a new book called The Power Grab. He's with me now live today. Sir, how you doing? And good morning to you. I just want our viewers to have a little bit Thanks, of what Bill. you say. You say, like their solutions to climate change, the Democratic solutions of problems with election security are not serious. Their supposed solutions are just another way to justify an unprecedented consolidation of power and a federal government Democrats hope to control. Part of your new book, Make Your Case. The Democrats want to federalize uh, the election system. Uh, they they claim that it's the For the People Act, but it really empowers the swamp. They want to get rid of any authentication that a lieutenant governor or secretary of state can do. They want to empower vote harvesting, which allows any individual to go out and collect ballots, not validate who that person is, and then turn them, on, turn them in in mass. They were opposed to it in North Carolina, where we're going to have an election in, in uh, September because the, the Republicans erroneously did it. But they do it in California, and it overturned many, many seats there in California. They don't want to get rid of the ability of the secretaries of state and lieutenant governors to cross-reference with the Postal Service and other things. And they want a six-to-one match. They want to reach into the taxpayers' uh, wallets and pay congressional candidates by a, a tune of six-to-one for any donation that's less than $200 if they forego uh, raising money up more than $1,000. So there are so many. 
Okay, so let me explain that to you in, in, in summary. So what they want to do is, one, federalize the elections, and two, they want to pool money in that's going to stay in an account from now until uh, the 2024 elections, and then uh, they will be able to distribute that money to candidates that they see fit to run if they haven't run if they haven't raised enough money so they can run. Are you getting this? So they're going to take our tax dollars to give it to candidates that they choose to give it to because they should run even though they can't raise money. Are you getting this? Are you getting this? I had a huge, you know, show about this, I think back in December and again in February. And, um, I'm going to talk about this again. There's two bills. They were, you know, uh, mulling them here and there on the Senate. I was pointing out how, you know, Republican senators were making, oh, yeah, this is a pretty good way. And, oh, yeah, this isn't pretty good. It's, it's horrific. So much in this bill, but it has nothing to do with authenticating the vote and fighting back against those that want to manipulate an election. It appears at the moment it's going nowhere, but we'll keep an eye on it and see what happens prior to 2020. Now, Rudy Giuliani talking about apparently there is still an impeachment push in the House. A little quiet right now. First, here's Giuliani, and I'll ask you about it next. These Democrats who are doing this, I think they need therapy. He's been cleared three times. Yeah. He's my client. I've never had a client that's been cleared three times. Once is usually enough. Right. Twice is ridiculous. <laughs> three times? He didn't collude with the Russians. Right. He didn't obstruct justice. Get over it. So apparently that's not the case. What do we need to understand about what Jerry Nadler has been doing on this? Well, you need to understand that in the last week, Jerry Nadler is sending out fundraising emails and he's claiming that the impeachment proceedings have already begun. And I think as the chairman of the Judiciary Committee should probably believe him. Uh, it used to be a time when I was in Congress when the national media would be all over you if you were fundraising off off of something that you're doing in terms of an investigation. So Jerry Nadler in a fundraiser going out and saying, yeah, impeachment has begun. But Rudy Giuliani is right. For what? Exactly. So they're fundraising money to impeach our president. Have you heard that before? Just like they were sending out emails, please go here because President Trump wants to change it back to are you male or female rather than what do you identify as? This is what the Democrats are doing. Like, how is this even okay that you're fundraising based on the fact like, oh, yeah, give me money and we'll impeach him on what? that you don't like him, orange man, bad argument. It's ridiculous. Now, after the break, we're going to touch on uh, Syria. We're going to talk about Turkey and, of course, Hong Kong, because I'm going to give it to you straight. Uh, I got in a lot of arguments with people about this. So Full I'll see you in a bit. Do I want to see Comey in jail? Yeah, yeah. Do I want Hillary in a cell? Yeah, yeah. Am I down to ride 45? Yeah, yeah. And I really do I feel alive? Yeah, yeah.
in a cell, yeah, yeah. Uh, Got my daughter right with 45, yeah, yeah. At a rally, do I feel alive, yeah. It's me, the promises, kid. I can roll with a press like that. Welcome to Red State Talk Radio. You're listening to Tori Says. For the next hour, I'll be your host, Tori. We'll be discussing news, foreign and domestic, unfiltered news. real news. Welcome back everyone to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host Tori. So this is our second hour and we're going to get into a few things. I think I'll start with Syria and Turkey and what's going on and what policy has changed uh, with our state uh, of relations with Turkey that kind of takes a shocking turn but I'm kind of thinking it's like a hidden uh, type uh, you know covert type move uh so we're going to talk about that uh we're going to talk about syria in general not just turkey but syria in general uh nothing to report on iran except for the fact that they're kind of everything's kind of going very quiet which is like the creepy quiet you know the type that you know parents are like there's like the quiet and then there's like the oh my gosh why are they so quiet thing yeah so this is kind of like that moment where you're sitting down saying wait my kids are too quiet and then you like you know, walk into a room and the kids like colored the whole freaking wall or covered in flour and stuff. So this is what I'm feeling. Uh, my um, discussions with my sources in the Middle East are not getting anything. Uh, they're kind of like, it's the same. I think they're waiting for Intex to actually kick in, which is that uh, monetary program where they can uh, circumvent U.S. sanctions against um, Iran uh, so they they can fund them. So that's, that's pretty interesting. Um, one thing I wanted to mention that I saw Milo blast um, is that, believe it or not, Okay, the Young Turks have now actually promoted communism. They they on their video, they actually quoted Lenin and, uh, you know, and they called this show called Agitprop. And they said that the Encyclopedia Britannica is Western imperialist propaganda. Remember, what are they? Young Turks. What are Turks? Muslim Brotherhood, period. That's all you need to know. That is all you need to know on that end. Now, um, let's start with the state of our relations with Turkey. Take a listen. Welcome to the Real News Network. I'm Mark Steiner. Good to have you with us. Once again, the United States acts as if Syria belonged to it. The complexities of international political intrigue are at work here as well, between the United States, Turkey, Russia, and Syria. It looks as if the Kurds will be left out to hang and dry once again. While all this takes place, they'll be whittling off pieces of Syria, handing them over to Turkey, and maybe even other neighboring nations. In March of this year, President Trump recognized the illegal annexation of the Syrian Golan Heights by Israel. And this week, the United States hammered out a deal with Turkey to grant Turkey control of the Kurdish areas east of the Euphrates River, where the Kurds have been battling ISIS. 
A team of U.S. negotiators and strategists are currently in Istanbul. They're there to negotiate a so-called, quote-unquote, safe zone in which the Turkish military can operate freely on Syrian soil. The area in northern Syria will be between 19 and 25 miles wide. Turkish President Erdogan spoke as if the decision had already been made. Now we will enter east of the Euphrates. We have shared this information with Russia and the United States as well. It's impossible for us to keep our silence, so long as cross-border clashes in that area persist. We'll continue our struggle against those who are targeting our country as enemies and terrorist groups, such as FETO, Daesh, and the PKK. Now, the Syrian government, under President Bashar al-Assad, rejected the U.S.-Turkey deal, of course, and refuses to relinquish territory it says it controls and belongs to their nation. Within the area which Turkey is poised to invade is the city of Kobani, which is a mostly Kurdish city from which the YPK Kurdish militias operate. It's also an important ally, the United, ally of the U.S. in the civil war with Syria. Now it seems the United States is turning its back on the Kurds once again and letting Turkey attack Kurdish forces at will. And Turkey will force Syrian refugees, 700,000 of them, into this newly acquired territory if they get a hold of it and when they get a hold of it. Okay, so I'm going to pause it right there. So as you guys know, I love playing clips from people uh, like the Turkish state media, from, you know, Iranian media, from, you know, Muslim Brotherhood media, and then, you know, sometimes Steiner, where he's like a little bit off. So here's the thing. What he quoted was the speech that I played for you guys on air when I told you they wanted to control that northeastern part. It was when we saw missiles flying between uh, Syria and Turkey and how, you know, they were flying missiles between each other. And then Erdogan suddenly appears and says, yeah, we are going to do this. He didn't ask. There was no deal. He just said the Kurds are enemies, period. Now, for some reason, Steiner is claiming that um, the U.S. has allowed this to happen. Uh, we have to understand a little bit on this dynamic. So in Iraq, okay, we're talking like years, decades ago, decades ago, Saddam Hussein had his northern area of Iraq, pretty much the majority of those that lived there were Kurds, okay? And he didn't like the Kurds because the Kurds demanded borders. And obviously those north, northern Iraqi uh, Kurds spill into that northeastern border of Syria. So here we have people that for eons have been demanding borders to be drawn. Uh, it almost resonates to the same as we saw, you know, with the Israelis that wanted borders and couldn't have borders and no one would give them borders. And then after World War II, they were given borders. This is exactly the same thing. So the YPK that we have, um, that we're working with, the, the, the Turks, uh, not the Turks, the Kurds, uh, they are working with our contracted security forces to help eradicate the Islamic terrorist groups. And they've done a great job too uh, because it's easier for them to infiltrate and they know the area very well. What Turkey wants is hold of that territory. Why? So the questions are why? It's a hot mess. It's 
<laughs> it's all blown up. It's devastated. That's because it is rich in minerals. We've seen Turkey move. We've seen them attack. We've seen them bully people in the eastern Mediterranean. We see them how they've penetrated the Libyan only recognized by the UN Human Council Relations Group area of Tripoli and now they're their designated army only the UN Qatar and Turkey see that as a legitimate government in Tripoli of Libya so here we have Turkey saying I don't care what the rest of the rest of the world says they're terrorists and we're going to attack them and we're going to kill them all because it's normal for Turks to want to kill Kurds because they've been doing it for decades decades because they have right claim to land which falls into turkey because remember turkey is not made up of any nation that's turkey guys there was never a turkey there was armenia there was greek there was the kurdish lands there was iraq there was iran there was no turkey the Ottoman Empire, you know, which mingled with the Eastern, came in and swept and took hold of, you know, the Middle East and Europe. We have to remember history for some reason. And, and the thing is, that is what they want. They want the Ottoman Empire again. So this statement is a little bit weird for me, considering that he's talking as if it's already happened. Take a listen. Well, whenever we talk about the Middle East, uh, it's always very complex, but especially when we talk about uh, Kurds, even maybe it's even more complex. And uh, we have another episode uh, now. Uh, this started with uh, uh, Erdogan and his uh, foreign minister uh, threatening uh, the de facto autonomous uh, region in northeastern uh, Syria, which is uh, mostly led by uh, uh, Kurds. But uh, this is a polyethnic uh, area, and we can uh, talk about maybe coalition there. But the main uh, political and military force is uh, a Kurdish. Erdogan uh, threatened this uh, uh, de facto autonomous region uh, by uh, wiping it out. And this happened only last week, on uh, August 6th. And the same threat was uh, repeated by uh, Çavuşoğlu, the uh, a current uh, foreign minister in, in Turkey. Right after that, uh, I think the Americans uh, uh, felt the need to interfere because uh, an American uh, uh, minister said, we're not, we cannot let Turkey act unilaterally in uh, northeastern uh, Syria. Then uh, Turkish and uh, American officials met in order to talk about a so-called safe zone. However, we do not know what this is all about. What uh, Turkey has in mind, and this is based on uh, sources that have uh, uh, you know, contact, that have access to the inner circles in Turkey, is uh, to create a zone which is uh, 30, 35 kilometers uh, wide from the Turkish border. But uh, uh, Americans have uh, probably something uh, between five and ten kilometers in mind and, and excluding cities. And Kurds uh, uh, have been uh, declaring that they're going to allow only a five-kilometer-wide uh, uh, corridor along the Turkish-Syrian border, which uh, should not include or house any Turkish troops. So it's quite uh, uh, complicated, quite complex, but at the same time, where uh, what we're witnessing right now is quite uh, vague. We don't know uh, 
what exactly Americans and uh, Turks want to do in northeastern uh, Syria. But uh, what we know is that Kurds are quite opposed to this because uh, they see this uh, as, a, again, another attempt uh, on the part of Turkey to in invade uh, the northeastern part of uh, Syria. And again, oh, sorry. Uh, I'm just curious, do you think, so, do you think this is, um, there's a couple of things that work here. Obviously, there's been this enmity between um, the, 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 Kurds, the Kurdish people and the Turkish government for a long time. I mean, Absolutely. a long time. And so this plays into that. But there's also the idea, does, does Erdogan want to expand the borders of Turkey and enlarge the country itself? Is that part of it? Is it that, is it, is it, I mean, how does this play into the battle against ISIS, which the United States claims to be fighting, um, but at the, if anybody was fighting uh, ISIS uh, to defeat, it was the Kurds in Syria. I mean, they, and they've taken the battle to ISIS. So, I mean, I'm, and then there's the, the whole Russian-American issue around Turkey. Who's going to give missiles? Who's going to give planes? And, and how that battle uh, uh, turns out uh, as well between them. And so, I mean, it's a complex issue here. And then we, and Israel is in this in a way because they've been backing the Kurds uh, because of the, 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 the realpolitik of the world that they are in as well. And so, so, so I mean, what do you really think is at the bottom of this? Now, before he answers, and I haven't heard his answer, I want to say this is why I listen to Mark Steiner sometimes. Because even though he says things that it's like, mm, what? He's, he has these lucid moments like this where I'm like, there you go. There you go. See, we've been talking about this for a while. Remember when I told you that they were trying to push in, get more territory? They want to extend. They want to push. I'll tell you what. All you need to do is pull out a map. And you're going to see that it's like this little tip horn in the northeast that feeds into the northernest border of Iraq. Now, why is it? There is something that the locals, and I know very well, called the Dark Trail. That is at the northernest border of Iraq. That's where all the Kurds would hide, right? Um, it's actually kind of like um, a dark zone, uh, per se. The Iranians would be able to smuggle, and Pakistanis and Indians would come in and smuggle themselves to get through to Europe, okay? They would go through there when they'd be by boat or like this or like that. So they'd come through there. And so that is like a, like a special road or path. Now how they circumvent, uh, you know, security or being stopped is by going through the southern border of Turkey, specifically that specific zone that is being demanded by Turkey. Now they don't want 10 or 15 kilometers. They want 30 deep in. Remember when I talked about Idlib? That's the next topic. Because here we go again with Turkey pushing. I said, the minute they get control of Idlib, it's done. Russia is uh, has their backup, even though they're working with Turkey. They know that if Turkey gets down to Idlib, their naval base, which is located on the coast of Syria, um, is going to be a big problem. It is going to be a very big problem. So right now we have Turkey trying, just like Steiner said, are they trying to expand their borders? The answer is yes. But let's take a listen to what this professor has to say. Uh, I think we should look at this on, on various levels. Uh, on one level, this is a continuation of a Turkish policy vis-a-vis -vis Kurds during the Republican era. Uh, the Turkish state has been uh, uh, opposed to any form of uh, autonomy uh, Kurds uh, that Kurds would attain both within Turkey and around Turkey since the early years of uh, the Republic and the Republic was established in 1923. So this is a continuation of that Republican uh, policy vis-a-vis -vis Kurds. 
And of course, at the root of this is a, a, a very sh a chauvinist. Wait, I want to like make that and break it down into English. So remember when I was telling you about the Ottoman Empire and then they had to like secede. I had like this whole episode where I talked about it, where they had to like secede and give back Mecca to the Saudis and whatnot and whatnot. Well, that was in 1923. And then they had a series of agreements. So the Republic of Turkey was actually a created on paper uh, in 1923. That's what he's referring to, where we, where they were like kicked out after the Spanish Inquisition and they were being pushed back by the Western nations and people have revolted in 1821. Greece actually revolted against them, you know, after being from 1421 to 1821, the Greeks were actual slaves. They were the slaves to the Turks. And so they revolted in 1821. A lot of other nations in Europe revolted against them and so they pushed them back. Back. And so, you know, the last front was Greece and then they got them done, you know, the wars and the pushing back of the Muslims, M-O-S-L-E-Ms, you know, that had begun in the 1500s from the Spanish Inquisition took that long to get rid of them. Uh, you know, the barbarians, as they would call them. So... <clears throat> That's when they created this treaty and they invented the nation of Turkey. Like I said, invented because we had the genocide of the Armenians and they took part of Armenia. I mean, big portion of Turkey used to be Armenia. And we've heard about the Armenian genocide and how it's going through courts. And they're like, nope, it's not genocide. We're not acknowledging it, even though the whole world is just like they're saying, nope, we're not acknowledging that Cyprus is independent. All the water surrounding Cyprus is ours. And it's like, what? You know, we go, we're not acknowledging that Cyprus is free. So we're going to take half of it over because we said so. And it's an independent where yet it's still occupied. So they've like invaded it. So this is the kind of nation we're talking about. Okay. Form of Turkish nationalism and uh, the idea that uh, Turkey is a unitary state with one uh, nation only. So, on one level, we see this. Secondly, of course, uh, we can see this as uh, a part of the neo Ottomanist uh, foreign policy that was started uh, du uh, during the tenure of the previous uh, Prime Minister Davutoglu. Of course, uh, uh, Davutoglu and Erdogan were uh, uh, acting together in this. So Turkey has been trying to increase its influence over the territories that used to be dominated uh, or uh, occupied by the Ottoman uh, Empire. And this also includes uh, certain parts of Africa. Now, when you go to Africa, you see a, a, a significant activity by the Turkish state. Uh, particularly in Eastern Africa, but not only there. Yes. Another level is that uh, uh, one of the uh, uh, tactics that uh, authoritarian regimes and leaders uh, employ whenever they're in trouble is uh, resorting to uh, violence, and, and in some cases, of course, uh, war. So. Erdogan and his party, AKP, have been going through a difficult process. Although Erdogan is still quite powerful, and although he has almost complete control of the state apparatus in Turkey, the recent elections have shown that he's not invincible. Right. And maybe he's losing his grip over power, his power in Turkey to some extent. 
Okay, so I'm going to stop it there on Turkey because I want to talk about the, the, the other portion of Idlib. But what he said was 100%. You heard him. It's they want to take back the territory of the Ottoman power. This is how they work. And remember, uh, Erdogan war- was mentored by the founder of the Muslim Brotherhood. And this is how they expand. And if, you heard him say it, and this is the professor of these, and I'm pretty surprised that the university has someone that actually speaks truth. He said, Eastern Africa, where do we see them investing a lot of money? That's right. From the Muslim Youth Center in Kenya, Horn of Africa, Somalia, Eritrea, Liberia, they've taken hold of all those places. So that is what is key here to understand about Turkey when we're speaking about Turkey. They are instigating war. And like he said, they only get aggressive. So now let's take a listen to what the Turkish state media has to say in regards to the war in Syria and how the UN says cluster bombs were used on civilians in Idlib. Again, the same UN that has designated a Muslim Brotherhood group in Tripoli, holding it hostage, holding it hostage in war and in limbo, because they said so, backed by Turkish and Qatari authorities, which are Muslim Brotherhood. Take a listen. To the inexperienced eye, they could be mistaken for fireworks. To the people in Idlib province, you'd be smart to be scared. It was a very strange feeling to see the fires falling down on us. It was extremely horrible that they were aimed at us. These pictures were taken by activists and show cluster munitions raining down on civilians. A report by a non-profit called the Syrian Civil Platform says the regime used phosphorus, napalm and similar weapons in Idlib in May and June to destroy about 15 villages and kill nearly 70 people, including 23 children. The report says the bombs were aimed at public squares, markets, hospitals and more. Hey, hold on a second. Do we hear about that? No, we didn't. This is what is called propaganda. If 23 kids were bombed in May or June, which is just a couple months ago, we would have I would have heard about it. So here is them pushing propaganda saying that the Syrian regime is the, you know, Assad is bombing Idlib. When who is the one that wants to control Idlib? Turkey. So, who was the one that said that um the the that there was a drone that the U.S. shot down and, um, oh, that shot down a U.S. drone? It was Turkey. And didn't President Trump say that there was no such drone? Yes. So this is what we need to be paying attention to, the propaganda. This is TRT World. This is Turkish public media. The Syrian regime forces directly targeted farmland and crops, wheat and barley crops. Oh, and I just wanted to point out that Yassin Al Yassin that is speaking right now is a White Helmets member. Hmm. Anyone that has served, what have you heard when you see the White Helmets coming? Exactly. It's not good. In addition to olive and fig trees have been burned. The cluster bombs used are internationally banned because they pose an especially high risk to civilians. This material is very flammable and it can't More be white helmets. extinguished. These are the only people they're interviewing. Need to be used to put it out. 
Volunteers with the group known as the White Helmets say they're having a hard time keeping up with the sheer volume of calls. One said some people in villages see four or five bomb attacks in a day. And that's not the only danger. There are also live napalm bombs lying on the ground that haven't exploded yet. And with responders stretched so thin, these unexploded munitions are something the rescue volunteers have to teach locals to handle on their own. Sarah Balter, TRT World. Are you guys getting this? So they're saying that all these bombs are going off and falling into Idlib. Assad's letting it happen when Assad and Russia are trying to not let Turkey enter Idlib. We talked about this months ago. And volunteers of the White Helmets are helping. Come on, are we serious, guys? Seriously. Who's buying this? Because I'm not. They're selling. I'm not buying. Are you buying? Because I'm not. We would have heard 23 kids were killed through these, you know, cluster bombs. This is this is how you see how propaganda unfolds. This is a report from the day from yesterday from yesterday. And they're telling us that in June and in May, 23 kids were killed and that all these bombs are going off. But we didn't hear about it. Come on, man. The leftist media would have eaten that up and started, you know, on Assad again. Nope, because it's not true. Uh, you know, it is the most horrific way that, you, speaking of propaganda, let's just, I, I'm getting really wound up when I think of just how um, they force feed us lies. They force feed us, <coughs> excuse me, rhetoric that makes absolutely no sense. And so speaking of propaganda, and rhetoric. I want to say, you know, like I said, I wasn't going to talk about Hong Kong until I was ready, and I am now. So I want, I want you guys to all just sit with this during the break. Every single media outlet on the planet right now is asking for an intervention in Hong Kong. Every single one. Yet the majority of you listening to me now probably don't know why they're protesting and how... After 10 weeks of just protesting, suddenly it went from zero to 100 within like a day. Within a day. And the reasoning will shock you. And the media, the way they're putting it, is taking a side when they shouldn't. And this is why we should be proud that our president didn't. I'll see you all in just a bit. Red State Talk Radio is now available as a voice command on your Amazon Echo and Echo Dot by simply saying, Alexa, play Red State Talk Radio. Red State Talk Radio on TuneIn. Turn to every single American. Now, we've been hearing all these stories about sanctuary cities, sanctuary cities that... You can now find us on the Amazon Echo and Echo Dot on TuneIn, on iHeartRadio, and we also have the phone apps in the App Store for your particular phone. And just in case we activated your Echo Dot, Alexa, stop. Hello, my fellow patriots. My name is Michael Flynn Jr., and I am the proud son of General Flynn. Your support of the last two years has been incredible and will never be forgotten. If you'd like to continue supporting General Flynn, you can donate to our legal defense fund. Any donation is welcome. To donate, go to www.mikeflynndefensefund.org. Thank you, and God bless America.
Hey, this is Leonora Cravota from Red State Talk Radio for MyPillow. I used to have trouble sleeping. MyPillow changed all that. I now fall asleep within moments of my head touching my pillow. That's how comfortable MyPillow is with its patented interlocking fill. MyPillow stays cool and does not go flat. Plus, it's machine washable and dryable. MyPillow has a 10-year warranty and a 60-day comfort guarantee. MyPillow is also the official pillow of the National Sleep Foundation, and it's made right here in the USA. MyPillow is now offering Red State Talk Radio listeners a four-pack special with two premium standard or queen pillows and two go-anywhere pillows. That's four pillows for the price of one. To take advantage of this special offer, call 1-800-961-9194 and ask for promo code REDSTATE. That's one 800 961-9194 promo code red state put sleepless nights behind you with my pillow the most comfortable pillow you will ever own for the best night's sleep in the whole wide world visit mypillow.com guaranteed life insurance with no medical exam sounds great right even better your rates will never increase and benefits will never decrease if you're a u.s citizen between 50 and 80 you can get life insurance guaranteed It's not guaranteed in every state, and you may not qualify for every policy, but when you call, you'll speak with a licensed insurance company. They'll give you all the details about guaranteed life insurance. So call now, Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Sess Show. So like I said, we're going to be talking about uh, Hong Kong now. This is going to be your uh, way of understanding exactly what's going on, what they're not telling you, and how it's really panning out. Because I'm tired of just listening to people push. And, you know, no one knows why. I mean, ask yourself, do you really know why they are protesting? Some of you may have some form of idea, but people don't seem to understand the dynamic between Hong Kong and China. And I'll tell you what, I uh, talked about this with a lot of people and you know that I ghost, uh, not, it wouldn't be called ghostwriting. I actually write for a lot of major publications where I let other people use um, my content and they publish under their name. Uh, so everyone was upset with me. So obviously I'm going to put my write up on Tori says, but, um, so Hong Kong 10 weeks ago, the government of Hong Kong, which is actually independent, but codependent on China decided to pass a law that would allow them to extradite criminals that are wanted by the by the mainland Chinese government and those that are in Hong Kong that have committed crimes will be sent off to mainland China to be tried. Someone will be like, well, that's crazy. Why are they doing that? Here's the thing. Hong Kong is China, kind of like Alaska is part of the United States. People don't know that. The only issue here is that it's the same country but they have two different sets of government. You get it? Two governments, one country. How does that work? It's as if, you know, let's let's focus on Alaska because it to, it'll totally make sense to you like this. So imagine Alaska had its own laws that trumped 
our lower 48 states federal laws, okay? They had their own set of laws. And so um, if the lower 48 wanted to, uh, you know, get Kamala Harris arrested and she had run to Alaska, they would have to request Alaska to send her to the lower 48 so she could be tried. Now, Alaska would not recognize warrants of lower 48 and would not therefore extradite anyone. Kind of like if you are, if you say had a hit and run in Texas and there's a warrant out for your arrest and then they find you in Iowa, then the the state of Texas has to petition the state of Iowa for extradition to come over there based on state laws. Here we're talking like federal level laws, okay? Just so you understand. So I understand why the people of Hong Kong are concerned. Did you know how Hong Kong began to be this bustling island? I'll tell you how, or area, I would say. Um, the way it happened was people that were wanted in China big, you know, mafia type guys, they set up businesses and foreigners were allowed to come in. The laws that applied in China didn't apply. You know, we could have Western investments there and everything because in China, you do not open up a business. You do not open up a sales office. You cannot run a bank if the Chinese government doesn't have a cut or tells you how to do it. And I myself uh, know this from working with a sales rep office years ago, um, you know, not like working as a sales rep, but monitoring it per se, that there was a German bank that wanted to uh, start providing institutional investments to Asians. So they wanted to create something called an Asia fund. Well, this Asia fund had to, according to the guidelines of the Chinese government, had to have 98% Chinese companies and only 2% of other Asian companies like India, Singapore, etc. Because that was their law. So meeting with the president then, negotiations were all through president, through foreign minister, through minister of finance. Those are the people that you would negotiate to allow you, an international bank, to open up up an office and you're not even a legit office it's called a rep office kind of like Verizon authorized reseller kind of like that it's like a resell office so that's how they work whereas in Hong Kong same bank opens up an office it's a legit corporate office period so you understand the difference so now we have the residents of Hong Kong saying nope 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 not gonna happen because the Hong Kong government we're thinking wants to merge with China completely on the laws and we're not having it. So if this happens, then a lot of us can be extradited out to the mainland China and then thrown into camps and never to be seen again. So I get their concern. So what do you do? What do you do in this case? So let's pretend it was lower 48 with Alaska you protest you say no I don't want it so what is the next step like what okay so the Hong Kong government says all right we just won't do this law Hmm? what is the next step here's what happened this protest started peaceful they were just demonstrating you know and coming out in the droves I want you to know that you can walk from one side of Hong Kong to the other if you're fit enough. <laughs> I know my fans <laughs> won't uh, in one breath because they have really steep areas too. But um, in like two hours, um, you know. So it's a small place per se. 
and it has 7.4 million residents. Okay. 7.4 million. After 10 weeks, all of a sudden you've got close to 2 million people on the street. 2 million. Think of that number. 2 million. And you only have about 100,000 in protective forces, meaning police, Coast Guard, Navy, Army, Marines, whatever they have there. That's it. How do you control 2 million people with 100,000 people that can't work 24-7? So you would have to assume that only 50% of them are working at one time. And that's if they're hot racking and working 12-hour shifts. So you got cops trying to, you've got 50,000 cops across everywhere, possibly working at the same time, so it's even more reduced, trying to control 2 million people. How do you do that? Think of the overwhelming size. You know what? Let's take a step back. Let's remember Ferguson, right? Do you remember Ferguson? Black Lives Matter, who, by the way, the leader was thrown into jail for child and human trafficking. Just thought I'd mention that. They protested because they were Black Lives Matter and he was shot and all this. And we were like, yep, more power to you. You know, this was wrong. Shouldn't have happened. We get it. We're on your side. And then suddenly looting happened. Suddenly businesses weren't working. Suddenly fires were being set. Suddenly guns were being shot everywhere. And the police were overwhelmed because they had so many people out on the street just wrecking everything. Remember that? Remember how pissed off you were? Saying these animals, what are they doing? Well, that's exactly what's happening in Hong Kong right now. Looting everything. Looting everything so much that they've stampeded through the airport. Okay? So early Monday morning, their time Monday morning, Sunday nighttime, you know, afternoon for us, they broke through the airport, taking down all the security guards, the police, they beat them to a pulp. So there's people there that are taking layover flights. I found a woman on Facebook uh, who was complaining about it on this German site that I go, you know, that I kind of stalk for like news. It's like a news site. And so they put a post of hers as a screenshot telling people what happened to her at the airport. So here's a German woman on the way to Australia and she had to like take a connecting, like her flight had to land in Hong Kong and then four hours later it was gonna leave to go to Australia, which is like either sw- switch planes or fix it or fuel, I don't know, whatever. So she's there with her kids and as they land, they get off the plane. So obviously what do people do? They wanna go get something to eat, use the bathroom, right? So, you know, as she's entering the area to eat, which is after security, right? She sees the businesses boarding up, pulling down chained, you know, things and saying, well, wait a minute. It's, it's, I know it's early in the morning, but why are you closing? And you know, no one would answer. Suddenly a security guard found her and said, what gate are you at? And she's like, oh, I'm at this gate. He's like, come with me. She's like, wait, my kid is in the bathroom. And the guard literally went in the bathroom to take the kid and said, we can't protect you. So he's ushering her to you know, her terminal and her gate to get in. There's a German woman, right? And she says that she saw a few gates down, a black pilot being chased by at least a hundred people and getting things thrown at him, right? (laughs) While two security guards, like TSA guards, you would say uh, equivalent. She said like the security guards for like that check bags. That's the term she used. were trying to fend them off. And the pilot was running, 
So she didn't know what was happening. They get on the plane and the planes actually pulled out of the bay at some point after they shut down, um, you know, and then they left. So the airport was shut down that day on Monday and it was shut down yesterday too. No flights going out, no flights coming in. And you have to think, guys, they've taken over the airport, okay, and they're attacking people that have nothing to do with the law being passed, okay? Nothing to do. So these protesters, and rightfully so that our president called it a riot, these rioters are attacking regular people, uh, which is like, what is going on here? Like, why is this happening? I want you guys to listen to how President Trump calls a Hong Kong protest riots. It totally triggered the whole world saying, oh my gosh, he's like siding with President Xi. No, 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 no. These are riots. A protest is when you're standing there and saying, you know, I'm not doing this. A protest is where you're standing there and not doing anything. Obviously, I can understand that as the numbers grew, the police that were local freaked out. I mean, picture this. You're a cop and your number, you, one cop, to manage 50,000 people each at least. How do you feel about that? Do you feel safe? I wouldn't feel safe. I'm not saying that what the protest is about is wrong. Don't get me wrong. If they want to have independence, they deserve to get it. And this is a revolution, not a silent protest, not something that will end well. Revolutions never end well. Revolutions always have blood. 1776 was our revolution where we, the United States of America, detached from the United Kingdom, right? Because it was the same type of deal. The United Kingdom was the mainland or motherland, and we were the offshore one, right? And we abided by their laws and, uh, you know, were subject to their askings and their tellings. And we said, nope, not anymore. And we fought. How much blood was spilled? A lot. So this isn't going to end well. And so for anyone saying they want to intervene, imagine imagine if it was, you know, the UK versus the US back in 1776 and China or the European Union decided to butt in and, you know, break it up. You know, that doesn't happen. You let them deal with themselves. Listen to what your president says. Well, something's probably happening with Hong Kong. Because when you look at, you know, what's going on, they've had riots for a long period of time. U.S. President Donald Trump has labeled protests in Hong Kong riots, which will rile the activists calling for their own government to stop describing their demonstrations that way. Activists who have used the American and British flags as rallying symbols in their protests. Trump also signaled a hands-off approach, saying China would have to deal with them alone. This video warns what protesters could be up against. It was released by the Hong Kong garrison of China's People's Liberation Army, and it shows footage of so-called anti-riot exercises. While Beijing's top brass warned that violence is absolutely impermissible. Police, rather than the army, have so far dealt with the massive protests over the past few months. One of the gravest popular challenges ever to Communist Party rulers in Beijing. Meanwhile, a wave of protests planned for the weekend started Friday night, with government employees joining them for the first time. 
Many Hong Kongers fear the relentless march of mainland control over their lives. The protest began in reaction to a now suspended extradition bill, which would have seen residents subject to trial on mainland China. A threat to the independent judiciary and other sweeping freedoms that Hong Kong kept when it returned to Chinese from British rule in 1997. Protests have now widened to demand greater democracy and the resignation of Hong Kong's leader, Carrie Lam. A mass strike is also planned for Monday, closing down transport, schools and companies and bringing the city to a standstill. All right, so that sounds great, doesn't it? Government employees are backing it. They're like, you know what? Here's how we're going to protest. Yeah, you suspended the bill. Right. Do you think it's going to end there, guys? Okay, yeah, we'll suspend the bill. And guess what happens with all the tech and the AI China has, which is also implemented in Hong Kong? What happens? They round every single one of them up. Not now, but later, 10 years from now, because that's the way the Chinese operate. And they know that. So now they're like, nope, we're not stopping there. We want independence. We don't want to be under UK rule like we were up until 1997. And now we don't want to be under Chinese rule. We want to be an independent nation of Hong Kong and more power to them. Go. Whatever you want, Hong Kong, we will support you, but you're on your own. We're not going to send armed forces to fight wars for you. We're not going to intervene. This is your fight. Nobody helped us. In fact, the Spanish and the French were helping the British, if you remember correctly, when we were trying to revolt. So we need to understand the dynamics here. Okay? My gosh, this ear, this ear thing is really bad and I'm coughing constantly. So we have to understand the dynamics and what is really going on here. But then you have to question if all these people so peacefully, as they say, came out and didn't go to work, transport at a standstill, you know, government officials joined them, police officers even joined them, right, uh, to demand their independence. Then why did they start the riots? Why did they start looting businesses? Why did they loot the airport? You know, why? Because outside influence. And I'm just going to leave it right there. From my sources, there was some outside influence. Now, I told you guys that the Chinese were sending military. Now, you're going to say, well, that's bad. That's authoritarian. And they did share that video because I'll tell you what. Think of it this way. Let's pretend Hong Kong does get their independence. Totally fine. Right? Right? China's not going to back down so easy, okay? First of all, that would make them look bad to the 1.5 billion, almost 20% of the planet's population lives in mainland China. If they see that the Chinese government is weak, at some point when they want to revolt, they'll know that they're stronger. So this is how you keep it quiet and you subdue things. This is why... You know, President Xi even said, stay out of my business. I'll deal with it. And President Trump said, nope, you're right. I'm not intervening. And everyone's like, President Trump's so mean. He's siding with him. Like someone actually said, are you communist because you're saying this? And I was like, are you insane? I'm just thinking you're a police officer for Hong Kong, right? It's your job to protect the citizens. It's your job to take orders, right? And protect everything. The small business that they just looted, the people like, you know, Marianne, um, you know, from Germany, uh, the people like Kelly Sue, like I've been watching Weibo and, 
And the amount of statements being made by people that fled Hong Kong on ferries, you know, to Macau is crazy because they are not targeting or doing anything that would be peaceful. Like the majority you would say are, but there's a huge chunk that are violent. They've beat people to a pulp. You know, they're reporters, a Guardian reporter, Guardian for the Guardian, and I'm surprised they didn't even report this, was caught at the airport by the protesters and beaten to a pulp. Another reporter for the Chinese um, independent news station, whatever, beaten to a pulp. Both of them in hospital. Cops that were like protecting people in the airport and protecting the airport because they're going to break it up. That's going to cost a lot of money to fix. See, why are you breaking stuff if you want to be independent? Then you're going to have to pay for it anyway. So they're protecting people that are innocent, the property of the Hong Kong government that they should be careful of too. I mean, why are you breaking your own city, you know, and what you want to be a nation soon? So they're protecting and they're beating them up. They're stealing their battalions and everything. I mean, think of it. If it was me with rubber bullets, tear gas, and maybe a water cannon against 50,000 people, you better believe it. I'm going to be using it when they're throwing stuff at me. I don't know about you guys, but I'm going to be using it. And I'm not saying that the violence that we're seeing is okay. Don't get me wrong. But we have to see it from the other perspective of those people on the ground. Okay? It's none of our business what the politics are. It's atrocious anytime we see violence like this. And one would think, damn, it's 2019. Are we Neanderthals? Like, why are we responding like animals? Why are we attacking them? They're only police officers. They've sworn a duty to protect you. Why are you attacking them? Just stand back and do your protest. Don't throw stuff at them. Don't break stuff. Don't try to trample all over airports, schools, and businesses. You know, don't go to the little old lady shop that sells spices and turns stuff upside down. Just stay peaceful and, and make your point. So why are you attacking the police officers? You'll see the majority of the protesters have batons and, um, you know, shields that are the police's. They've beaten them up. So this is horrible because we've got the protest that's legit. They have every right to exercise it. They should be free if they want to. That's their prerogative. It's none of our business, right? None of our business. And we don't want to see human rights violations, Right? But in war, you're going to see blood spill. In a revolution, you're definitely going to see it. It's not going to be done with papers and talking. Not because we're Neanderthals, but because the people, we the people, the individual people understand that when the power lies in the hands of few, they are able to cause mass destruction. I mean, how do you fix this? Think about it. How do you fix this? You've got a third of your population out on the street demanding that they change their government. You've got China saying, man, we can't do this. We're going to look weak. And in the future, when we start oppressing these mainland Chinese residents, they're going to revolt and they're going to win because it's 20% of the global population. So we need to scare them and we need them to know that there's going to be a lot of casualties if they try something like this. Having said that, I think across the planet, throughout any revolution, throughout any war, throughout any um, plea for freedom, the, the statement, give me liberty or give me death, applies to all. 
So even if China takes it to that level and they spill blood and they tell the Chinese, you want to end up like the Hong Kong people? You want to be dead? You want your kids being killed? Your grannies being slaughtered because you wanted independence? Then come at us. You know, people will sacrifice it. So fear doesn't really work when you know in the end freedom is there, right? Because it, we knew many times people before us, our ancestors, when they went to war, they were in the front line. They were the first ones out and they knew they were going to die. They still went there because they believed in freedom. They believed in that cause. So again, for the Hong Kong people, it is horrible because they are literally fighting a war right now. And we have the mainstream media pushing. Oh my gosh, we condemn this. Don't take sides, man. It's none of your business. This is like, say California wanted to secede, which we really hope they do. It's like that. This is exactly the same thing. Hong Kong wants to secede from China. They want to be independent, period, their own country. Let them do it. And if the Hong Kong people want to get it done, they shouldn't be attacking the police because if it's 10 of you and a million people in front of you, what are you going to do? I'm going to shoot. I'm, I'm shooting that rubber bullet because I'll be scared. I'm probably going to throw that tear gas because I'll be like, man, what if one of these, I see that guy's eyes shining or looking at me the wrong way. I'm scared for my life. I want to go home to my wife and kids, right? That's what you think of. We have to see it in the way it is. So the bottom line is what's going to happen? I don't know. But what I can tell you is I've told you many times that in Libya, Tripoli is the um, has an army called the GNA, and it's considered the only legit government of Syria. Michel Bachelet, uh, uh, the head of the UN High Commission of Human Rights, right, is the one that labels this. Remember, we've gone over this that the UN is the only entity on this planet that recognizes Tripoli as the official government of Libya, right? Well, guess what? This same commission is the one saying. Oh, the Chinese are suppressing pro-democracy demonstrations. I'm in. Now, the minute they reared their heads yesterday, that's when I was like, yo, so this is a setup. They're probably the ones that are sending the dissidents down into Hong Kong to light fires under, you know, a little bit, uh, you know, people that are a couple French fries short of a happy meal to start attacking and doing this to make it even worse. Now, China has a history of being very brutal to their citizens because they're a communist nation. They're authoritarian. And here's where they're feeding on it. So you have to wonder, why is the UN pushing for Hong Kong to segregate? Why is the UN pushing this? Because whenever you see the UN like taking a stand, that's when you need to know, uh-oh, I, I, gotta, I gotta double check this for a second there because if they're in on this, something's up. And that could actually tell us why it went from zero to 100 so quick. So on that note, when you see these Hong Kong, you know, things, pray for these people because they are suffering, pray for them because they are seeking liberty and, you know, pray that we have as few casualties as we can in any war uh, and support our president, of course, who's trying to make sense of this. But how do you explain all this to someone, you know, that's brainwashed by global media? On that note, I want to wish you guys a great evening. God bless from all of us at Red State, and I'll see you here again tomorrow, 12 to 2 Eastern time. Have a great evening. Grab your popcorn, it's about to go down
down at the Trump rally. People screaming so loud, Patriots United, and we're standing so proud. Trying to get DC, ain't nowhere to go now. Say goodbye to the deep state where we control you now. See, call me in jail, yeah, yeah. Do I want Hillary in a cell, yeah, yeah. Uh, now my daughter, right?